0: Grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. It's Rob Riles, and uh, welcome to another edition. Today, I'm really excited to have somebody with me that um, has been a good friend of mine, somebody that um, I hold in really high esteem. Um, he's had a real esteemed career as a non league footballer, he's a coach educator and he's worked in international football and worked in Europe as a coach and it's somebody that I know has got vast amounts of experience so I'm really pleased to introduce a guy called Steve Rutter. Hi Steve. Hi. How are you doing?
1: Yeah I'm good thank you, yourself?
0: Yeah I'm great and thanks for coming along. Um, The reason I've asked you to come along is because obviously we've worked together in the past and um, I've been fortunate enough during our work time just to sit and have coffee with you, tea with you, work out on the grass with you and see how you coach players, see how you educate coaches and what I wanted to do is see if I can access just for a, a short period of time some of your knowledge so that we can perhaps share that with uh, some of the some of the folks who are listening. So just a little bit of backstory, um, I know that you played for Yeovil as a player so if, if just as a start, just tell us a little bit about your playing career and how you got from there into your coaching to begin with.
1: Well I think you summed up my playing career there, I played a bit for Yeovil, um, the reality was I was a non-league footballer, uh, I did go to Yeovil at the time, they were in the, the Ryman league or the Ishmael league, um, but I actually went as a full-time player eventually, Right. Um, and I was the only one, they were in a transition period, so, okay. it, was, so it was quite lonely during the daytime, um, and the manager at the time was a fella called Brian Hall, yeah. who in non-league circles was a real genius. He'd, he'd taken Wildstone to the what was the Gola League, which is now the National League, yeah, but he'd yeah. won the Gola League FA Trophy double in the same season. Yeah. Um, and Wildstone are a small team, in, even in non-league terms. So I went to work with him, and, and he was a person really who got me into coaching as well, because when I went to Yeovil full-time, he said to me, look, you, you know, I've got you here full-time because I think you're a good athlete, you can kick people. Um, you're not the best with the ball, which was true. Uh, he said, "But I think you'll make a much better coach than you ever will a player. So you should really think about getting into coaching early." Um, and how old were you we then, Steve?
0: When you like that journey? Oh, about
1: 24. All right, 24, so quite 25. Long, yeah, yeah well, to be told you're not good enough as a footballer like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, become a coach in rubbish as a player. Um, but he was spot on, to be fair. And and I think I deep down I knew that anyway, um, because I always felt a bit pressurised when I played. I was always a bit scratchy. My techniques were never really pure, you know. And I see some players, and and they just effortless but I was all about physical effort and tackling and heading and kicking And um, but I did have a good football brain and um, I think he recognised that quite early and that's why he, he suggested I get into coaching
0: Okay so after you'd kind of got to that point where somebody had said to you look I think coaching would be possibly a niche for you did you start straight away with your own education
1: moving at that age? Well that probably already started because I, um, I left the police force to go to Yeovil And in the police force I'd specialised as an an instructor right so I'd done physical education self defence first aid drill uh, and part of the physical education programme was all sorts of different sports so I'd already done football coaching badges Um, but I carried on playing um, and and then took my prelim badge and uh, eventually my full badge and set up a youth training programme so I stayed as a full time player by definition of my contract yeah but the club found other things for me to do. So I started to get into the coaching side whilst I was still playing. Okay. Um, and I think it's like you said earlier, just being around Brian Hall, sitting, talking, I mean, you started the process of coaching because you were taking on the information that maybe you didn't realise and it was already starting to shape your thinking. So, so,
0: okay, Brian Hall isn't somebody that, that I, I actually know. So what was it about him, just briefly, that that makes you say, you know, he, he was a he was a, a name or a legend in, in non-league circles. What was good about him?
1: Well, I mean, we, we spoke before he came on air about Dick Bate. Um, the, the thing I found in, in my coaching career as I've gone through it is there's always been lots of people that have known much more about football than me. Uh, and it's not necessarily their football knowledge that attracts me to them. It's what they're like as people. Yeah, yeah. And and Brian and, and Dick Bate, who, who, as you know, sadly passed away, um... Both of them shared really similar characteristics in terms of their great people, great humans, real dedicated to their craft, yeah. always got time for people. Um, and, and Brian saying, and, and and Dick shared those, but, but Brian worked in an environment of non-league football where given the resources he had at his disposal at Wheelstone, for example, to win the Gola League and the yeah. FA Trophy in the same yeah. season is, is the non-league equivalent of Leicester winning the Premier League. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's the way he was as a person that, for me, really separated him. Um, and and so when he said to me like, "Become a coach," I could I believe what he was saying. So it was his people skills and his his character
0: over and above his maybe his tactical or technical knowledge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I Even now I split up coaching into four competencies, whether whether you're a coach educator or a coach of players. Yeah. Um, And they're the same four competencies, you just vary how you apply them in the circumstances. Number one is emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think maybe historically in English football that's been a little bit lacking, particularly in professional coaching. It's been such a macho sort of business, it's all about he's a footballer. Well actually the footballers are people first. Uh, yeah, I think maybe the foreign coaches had a slight head start because they come from from a slightly different perspective. Yeah. But emotional intelligence would be something I think if you looked at people like Dick Bay, if you looked at Brian Hall, you looked at the, the really good coaches you see. I think a lot of people would say that's one of their number one qualities. Yeah. they can relate to people, they can engage with people, and they can inspire people.
0: Yeah. So that and that so that that would would be the where Brian Hall was was high on the on that. Spectrum for
1: you, yeah. Well, he was it was high on that, but it is, is you know my four competencies, for example, are emotional intelligence, yeah, organisation and logistical skill. So yeah. managing human and physical resources, yeah, he was outstanding at that. Yeah, um, your subject-specific knowledge, in our case, it's football. His knowledge of football was encyclopaedia. Number three, like Dick, yeah. one of, one of the three, yeah. Yeah. And, and then no. the fourth one is like the pedagogical skills. You know, your skills to teach and communicate the information yeah. to people so they can learn those those three sit just below the emotional intelligence. So so numbers two, three, and four are really equal. Um, so, so although, is that is that set of four something that you've
0: come up with yourself? Obviously they're not unique, you know, in themselves because we, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realise that you've, if you're going to be good at something you've got to have a, a detailed knowledge of that. Yep. And if you're going to work with... Unless you're going to lock yourself away in a laboratory and be Einstein, you've got to get on with people at some point. And if you're in an organisation, you've got to utilise the resources successfully. Yeah. So, But are those four things that you've drawn down, Steve, and look at as real, the four legs of the table, if I can use that analogy,
1: is that something you've come up with yourself? Um, well, uh, uh, that's my four. Um, Whether somebody else somewhere else in the world has got those four written down as well, I don't know. But But from my experiences, those are the four things that I've highlighted. I mean, when I was younger, I probably didn't recognise the fact that I was going to to Brian, who was like a mentor, really, my first mentor. Dick Bate would be my second mentor. You know, I'm 55 now, um, and they're obviously significantly older than me, but they were both my mentors. And as I said, lots of people had more of the technical and tactical knowledge about football than I did when I started coaching but I didn't go to those people because I didn't like their their human qualities you know it was that other human side the emotional intelligence side of Dick of Brian that attracted me to them and And, yeah so when you look back would you say in hindsight that that's
0: why they became the mentors to you yeah absolutely
1: absolutely 100% so and and what they were good at doing was adapting it you know I've seen both Brian and Dick do sessions with eight-year-olds on a park and, and they've got an encyclopedic knowledge of football tactics and skills and systems of play and everything. And actually, they go out and put on a fantastic session for, for an eight-year-old, eight old. and the eight-year-olds come off giggling, laughing, because they're there for a different reason. And coaching is something different in that context.
0: So they can actually adapt to do that, and not just go out and do a Champions League
1: session. Be on a on a Thursday before the game, on a Saturday, if I could, you know. So that, yeah, yeah, no, got ab- that absolutely, and that and, and that's the one of the things. You've got those four competencies and then everything is yeah. for me is situationally specific. So you have to adapt. Yeah, you know an, an eight year old who just wants to turn with a ball doesn't need to be taught like he's you know like he's playing in the Premier League he yeah, just yeah. wants to run around and turn with a football yeah. so okay. you treat him accordingly you yeah know? brilliant
0: okay so just on on your story then um, there you are and you've started and you've gone and got, got your full badge were you, you were still at the Oval at that point when you got your full badge
1: uh, yeah ironically I um I got asked to be caretaker Brian got sacked which was a real shame because yeah. he, he was fantastic and um we got another manager come in who didn't last very long and I got asked to take over as caretaker manager and it's one of those you know if you don't take it we'll have to get somebody from yeah. outside so I took it for eight games I didn't have an A licence at the time I was booked on the course it yeah. was the full badge in those days it was called the full badge and I was booked on the course at the end of that season um, so we had eight games the first game we were, we'd got back into the conference we were playing slough at home yeah it, it was a hurricane all day long. We were five 0 up at half time. We won seven two. Even the goalkeeper scored for us. <laughs> right. Uh, and everybody said all oh, this management lark's really easy. Easy, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Yeah. So I got offered the job at the end of the season because we, we, I think we won four, drew two of those eight games, um, stayed up quite comfortably. Yeah. And then they offered me the manager's job, so I actually took the manager's job before I'd actually got the A license. Yeah. And to be honest, when I look back on it now. I was never equipped to be co- to become a manager at that moment in time. And when you look back, what were the reasons for that? Would you say? Because managing is different from coaching, right? First of all, you know, being a field coach, being a number two somewhere, and being responsible for going out and coaching players every day around the tactics and the principles of the game is different from dealing with the board, dealing with the agents, dealing with yeah. the media. I had no preparation for doing that whatsoever. I just, yeah. I just thought I could wing it, like most people do. And yeah, yeah. Um, I did all right, to be fair. For two and a half years, we did well. Um, But I can't say, other than one game against Arsenal in the FA Cup third round, I can't say I actually enjoyed a game. You didn't enjoy Uh, any of the games? Not really, no. Because of the stress of it? Yeah, I was either relieved because we'd got a result we needed or devastated because we hadn't. Um, That's interesting. I I remember John Rudge,
0: um, who was Port Vale for 19 years, and he, he said... He, he said exactly the same as that, Steve. He said, I never enjoyed one game. He said, the only emotion I ever felt that was any good was relief. And yeah. in a way, I suppose that's a little bit of an indictment about what the game's about in terms of the pressure. But it, 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 is it, you could look at it and say, well, actually, you know, you can understand why some people don't, don't, don't pursue it. it. Yeah. And,
1: and you know, it's, again, it's, it's context, isn't it? Because I was at Yeovil. We were in the National League as it yeah. is now, the conference. Um, if I got sacked, I probably needed to go and get a job on the following week yeah. because you don't earn the sort of money yeah. that you do. You know, I'm yeah. not Vince uh, Boas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you get a good job, and the only reason I enjoyed the Arsenal game was because the club were bankrupt at the time. We got to the third round of the FA Cup. It was on television. We made a fortune out of it. It saved the club from Brilliant. bankruptcy. And I could sit back and say, Phew, at least yeah, you know, we're yeah. all going to get paid for the rest of the yeah, season. Um, but I have to say, genuinely, like, I can't remember enjoying a game. It was just relief or devastation.
0: So at that point, you were obviously coaching players in your role as a as, um, uh, manager and coach. How did you then get from there into your, was your coach education? Was that your next career movement after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it, it wasn't really linear. It wasn't clear like that. Lots of overlaps at different times with things happening. Um, So I I got involved with the FA when I was still at Yeovil. The regional director was a fellow called Dave Burnside, who again, unfortunately, has passed away. Um, A very, very good coach. Very, you know, inspirational, technical coach. um, Well ahead of his time in terms of some of the stuff he wanted to do. And he got me involved in um, FA programmes. Um, and he got me onto the A license as a member of support staff. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after when I left Yeovil, I got involved with delivering coaching courses. Because it was a different system then. You, you, you didn't go through a process of training to become a tutor. You had an A, you know, if you had your A license badge, you could deliver a premium yeah. badge. Yeah, And So basically I said, look, you're in the southwest. You know, there's not many people down there who do coach education. Yeah. Take it you fancy on. doing yeah. a bit? Yeah. Um, and so it sort of evolved into that really. Um, okay. But I carried on managing and coaching in, in semi-professional football at lower levels at Trowbridge and then just gradually increase the amount of work I did on on the coaching courses, particularly the prelim course, which at the time was the was the lower level of course. Okay, I mean
0: my kind of kind of association or friendship with you, Steve, was as it really started as a, when you were a coach educator and I was working on the as a, as a staff member on, on the team. So I've seen you day after day and week after week, sun, rain breaking your leg, getting it misdiagnosed, <laughs> <laughs> stopping somebody selling yeah. Mars bars out of the back of a car. Yeah. All that, and so we've seen all that weeks and weeks and weeks and years and years of it. And you know, without, this isn't about me, you know, saying, you know, who's great and who's not. But Steve, you know, I, I've seen, I've been blown away. I really have been blown away at times with, with, with you know the detail that you were able to come across with, and, and I'm sure you'll say, "Well, I didn't, do, I couldn't do that at the beginning, and, and I've evolved into that." But you, for me, as somebody who had this admirable ability, as somebody who, who wanted to progress in coaching myself and wanted to do his A license and wanted to go on, I used to watch from the side, and I'd see you um, diagnose. Uh, a, a phase of play, if I can use that technical term, and then come up with this simple solution that changed the whole picture. Um, now, there might be people listening to this who think, "Blimey, I don't know what all that's all about." Yeah. Um, but did you just perhaps tell us, as through your journey, did you go through that process yourself, of seeing things that maybe Brian could do or Dick could do that you thought, "Flipping heck, I, I can't do that. I couldn't see that." And they came up with the answer. And do you remember going through that process where it became, or you got more clarity with it yourself?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's two strands to it as well. I think. I mean, as I've got older, I've started to look at things away from football and and like what I call a genetic predisposition for certain things. Yeah. Uh, And I think some people are born with it. You know, I I was never going to be an elite footballer for whatever reason, no matter how hard I tried but I'd got some of the elements and like the game understanding part of it was, yeah, yeah. was one of those like I said earlier I, could, yeah. I had a good football brain but yeah. I would necessarily good football techniques yeah. and I think maybe I was, I was born with, with some of that sort of genetic potential and yeah. having really good mentors like Brian and Dick helped smooth my progression through yeah. um, but it's like anybody who's an expert at anything, you know, if you and I use expert term loosely because it doesn't mean you get it right all the time. Yeah. It just means you're, you know, you considered to be very experienced in the field. But you've, if you talk to um, somebody who rides motorbikes really fast for a living, they say when they go around corners, everything seems like it's in slow motion because they're just so familiar with it all. It's, they can predict the patterns of things that are going to happen. And I think you end up doing that, so you're right. Do you right. think that
0: comes from, do you, are you saying that, yes, if you see a 1,000 pictures compared to 10,000, obviously the person who's seen 10,000 is likely, let's use that word, to, to be able to mm-hmm. see no, more? Or are you saying no, no, are no. Are you no. Like you're not saying that? No,
1: I think, I think if, you're, if you have a genetic predisposition for it, you might see five hundred pictures and recognise it quickly. Right. Somebody else can see ten thousand pictures and right. never see it ever. C- it never make sense to them. Yeah. You know, we've seen that, you've seen it on the courses with candidates and there's been a few who have been absolutely fantastic characters who have worked their socks off and done every single thing possible to get themselves through an assessment at A licence level. Yeah. But everybody who's watched them said they're not an A licence coach. Yeah. You know, because they just can't they haven't got it, whatever it, it is. It is. Um, and I think where we're as deficient as a player maybe I was accelerated yeah. as a coach yeah, yeah. and I could see the pictures really quickly. Yeah. And in actual fact, it's you know we're all based around pattern recognition. The human brain is designed to recognise patterns quickly and efficiently yeah. and to ignore irrelevant cues. Yes. And I think what my brain's learnt to do within football context is to see the important triggers quickly, yeah. forget all the fluff, and that helps you come to a really quick decision about things rather than people who can't really see the triggers and so they have to come up with six or seven solutions before they get anywhere near the one that's yeah. actually going to work.
0: Yeah, I've also worked with tutors who are what, from my perspective, as somebody watching it or even being a, a being a um, somebody being assessed. If I'm the person who's being assessed, who are absolutely brilliant at diagnosing, but I haven't been able to grasp what they're what they're, what they're telling me. So that so they they know it, You'd but they that. they can't get it over to yeah. Yeah, so is that something that you found easy to do
1: to actually get the message over? Um, Not always. I mean, uh, you know, I have this horrible habit, and it may even have come across on here that when I get into a subject matter, I get quite quick and quite excited. Yeah. And a few of the other tutors have have been standing on the side doing the the throat slitting motion. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) shut up. Um, Yeah. But I think. The, the art i suppose of, of being really good at something is you can take something that's complicated and present it in very simple terms yeah yeah you know so and i think that's experience maybe that innate disposition for it plus the experience you become better at taking the very complicated thing and putting it in very simple terms yeah. because you have to grade it down for people's understanding yeah. once they've got the basic the fundamentals or the principles of it you can then start to give them more complicated examples and, and and make it more challenging. Yeah. Okay. So also looking at looking at the game, if we just take
0: take football, because that's what we're talking about. Do you think you have a predisposition to coaching in the game compared to coaching for the game? Is that would be your preference to do that, or you're not again like talking about Dick can, can yeah. be. Go to eight-year-olds or
1: yeah. or a pro team? Does it matter to you? Are you no, no? It doesn't really. It, it, I mean, it depends where you are because you know you do some team coaching sessions and they're okay, and you get through them. Some you enjoy more than you enjoy others, and, and I can go and coach techniques and have a fantastic time doing that. Um, it, your brain's working differently, really, in, in the in the two. One, you're responding to things that are happening as a result of the, the free flow of the game. And the other one, to a large degree, you're predetermining how you're going to build the session up and how you're going to move it on. And you know the rough range of variation that you're going to get. I'll do this practice, it will probably take six or seven minutes, and then maybe I can move on to something like this. You know, It's not always yeah, yeah. specific. Um, I just enjoy coaching. You know? And, um, and, and I, was, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today, and those four competencies we spoke about yeah. earlier... That are absolutely prerequisites whether you're coaching players or you're coaching coaches Yeah, those four things if you haven't got if you haven't got one of them you're dead you really are I mean, you need some of them yeah. you know to a degree of all of them in, in each situation um, what was I going to say I've lost my me, lost me train of thought there really a That's little okay. bit right, no okay. I was just because I was thinking about you need that um, no, we'll come back to it because it will come to me in a flash yeah. in a moment so so out of all the, the coaching spectrum,
0: whether that's coaching in the game, you know, scenarios, free kicks, I don't know, front third or defending third or coaching techniques, what is it that gives you the biggest um, thrill or the biggest amount of pleasure or the greatest feedback when you think, do you know what, that's been a brilliant day that has? Or it's, uh, is there anything specific for you?
1: No, there isn't. I mean, I, when I worked at Panathinaikos, yeah. um I can remember going out. Where I had three young lads who were all, all defenders. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you their names if you want, but it's a real <laughs> name. One of one them was called Kostadinus Triantafilopoulos. Right. <laughs> hell of a name, that. Are you fluent in Greek now, yeah? Yeah, we're yeah. Not, yeah I couldn't survive, basically. Yeah. So there was him, a boy called Diamanti Houhoumis, and, and the Marinakis, who so were all, all young defenders yeah. and fullbacks. And we are going to do an extra session on the pitch just on defending 1v1 in wide areas. Yeah. So you know, it's going to be explosive, it's going to be short blocks of work for them because. That only happens four or five seconds at a time yes. maximum, you know. And there's three of them to rotate round. And I went onto the pitch to get set up, and it just started lashing down with rain. So I'm hiding in the, in the hut, the equipment hut. Um, the main changing room blocks two, 300 yards away. And the, it's lashing, and the sky's black and that. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no way we're going to take this session. And then suddenly I hear this giggling. And these three lads come in running across the fields because they're so desperate to get out on the fields and play. So we did an hour and a bit just the three of us well, sorry those yeah. three and me out yeah. on the pitch and it was absolutely magnificent Yeah, you know so I got as much joy out of that yeah. as I do out of going to do an 11v11 11 11 session playing through the thirds that works and that works. gets it with an object and finishes with a yeah, yeah a, you know yeah, and yeah. Well, it's that you're doing playing out from the back you play out from the back 15 passes and you smash one in the top corner See and it, everybody claps and, and, it, and says get off <laughs> yeah uh, but, but no yeah. I, there's just something that's there's an intrinsic joy and value in coaching and, yeah. and communicating with yeah. the players or the team so I think that goes
0: back to the, the humanistic character thing doesn't it it's not, it's not just about how can you get that person to be great at this it's the feedback you get from, yeah. from that human
1: interaction yeah, yeah. it is and, and some of the stuff as well is like when, you, when you've got an 11 versus 11 you know we talked about organizational logistics as one of the competencies well the organisation takes care of itself you've got a full-size pitch you've got 22 players yeah. you know goalkeeper at either end and a ball yeah, yeah. now you're going to coach within that there's no there's no thought has to go in necessarily to the actual structure of the session you might plan I would like to start here under these sort of yeah. circumstances yeah, yeah. But if you've suddenly got three kids who want to come out and work on defending in wide areas, now you've got to think about the physical parameters they're working with yeah. what are the technical considerations you want, what's the loading going to be like, what are the areas, what's yeah. relevant as a target for them to, if they win the ball, what do they do? Do they yeah. just stop? Yeah. That challenges you as a coach in a completely different way. Yeah. And that's why I think you can derive as much joy and value from that as you can from doing a big 11 v 11. Yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, I know when, when we were coaching, we were starting out coaching, people started using the term contextual interference, you know, as closer to the game. Well, 11 by 11 is the ultimate contextual yeah, interference, yeah. which is why I think people shy away from it a little bit. But the reality is whenever you're dealing with it, there's normally a couple of players that are really important in any one situation. And there's a few others that you need to affect a little bit. And then the rest, you just give what I call a little tweak and that's the whole thing done. Yeah. So it's not as complicated as it sounds, really. So that's that
0: pattern recognition of knowing what to ignore, um so that you can focus on the the important things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is
1: really. And, and and if you structure your eleven v eleven and you get the ball in the right area of the field, yeah. as long as you're not too prescriptive about exactly what it's going to look like, yeah. it will you know, something will crop up that you can use as your start point. Yeah. And you know, and if not, you can always put a ball in a situation, say, so right, put the ball there, fellas, you know, play, and then, then you okay. get the session started. So yeah. it's quite easy.
0: Panathinaikos, tell us tell us a little bit about your experience in Panathinaikos, because you know, um, not, not everybody is brave enough gets the opportunity or grasps the opportunity to, to to go and work at that that level
1: certainly um and outside the comfort zone of your own language as well so what was that like steve um well it is outside the comfort in terms of it's in greece but the reality is that there's 14 different nationalities there yeah and everybody speaks english or tries to because that's the default language yeah so there was a bit of a safety net with that i obviously went you know because the head coach there had been on the english coaching courses and that's how i met him and I went as his assistant, but yeah. also as, as his, his experience yeah. on, the, on the shoulder, really. Yeah. Um, so it was a, quite a nice sort of arrangement. Um, the big club, you know, the, the, obviously Olympiacos are big. Um, the games between the two are just phenomenal are experiences, unbelievable yeah. experiences to be involved well, in. Atmosphere and stuff, yeah. Oh, they, they call it the Derby of the Eternal Enemies. Um, Is it hostile? Oh, unbelievable. And there's no away fans. No, no. no away fans because the, the, you be. yeah. you know, the chance of violence. Um, <laughs> right. I know when we, and we, you know, we, they, were, they controlled Greek football to a large degree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a number of issues that obviously have been well documented. Um, but in the time we were there, we played them four times, we beat them twice, and we lost twice. Right. And we had a positive goal difference. So to have done that with our budget was phenomenal. But I have to say that Yanni, the lad I went to work with, Yanni Anastasio, he had those qualities we spoke about. You know, the emotional intelligence. Right. Magnificent. And and he could get performances out of people. People just liked him and wanted to work for him, you know? Um, yeah. So were so so you and
0: him, in hindsight now, would you say we,
1: we were a good team because you had diff- a different skill set than he had or were stronger in certain uh, areas? Yeah, well, he actually he said to me, like, I want you to come, A, because I know you're a really good field coach and you've got much more experience of that than I have. He said, but B, I want you to watch me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Um, so when
0: said, you were there, Steve, did you, were you the... The person who did the coaching essentially, or uh, did you? No, we're yeah. no, mixed. No, <laughs> mixed Yanni, Yanni did
1: a lot. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I always had an arrangement with Yanni that I said, Look, if you're out on the pitches, you coach. Because there's this deferential thing with a head coach on the pitch. If the assistant coach is working, all the yeah. players are still looking at the head coach. Go in, so yeah, I said, Look, if you're yeah. going to be here, you coach, because yeah. it's pointless me doing it. Yeah. Because yeah, then if you step in over the top, it undermines me, and yeah. you know, they want to listen to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we had a brilliant relationship, and he, we, we still do. I mean, I work with him at three clubs. Um, and I say, he had those four qualities. Um, and people want to work with him and want to, you know, they want to work for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a really good opportunity. I'd, I'd never worked at that level. And the first year, we managed to put a side together on a really low budget. Um, we won the FA Cup, which in front of like 60,000, which really, was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, we qualified for the Champions League playoffs and then eventually ended up in the Europa League yeah. the following season in the group, in the group stage of the yeah. Europa League. I've never had those experiences if I'd have stayed in England. Really?
0: Yeah, yeah that's brilliant yeah
1: so okay let's just touch on your
0: your time at the fa just in turn obviously you've told us a little bit about that if you if you look back steve at your time um educating coaches what's your opinion if i can use that word of how the coach education system in this country has progressed or developed or evolved since you know from the time you started to, to perhaps where it is now and and ultimately, what do you think you would do if you had, you know, a magic wand to, to kind of take it to the next level?
1: I, I think. And there was a lot in there, but yeah, no. I, I mean, from my experiences, I I thought when I when I was at the FA, I thought over time with the with the help of a lot of people, we put together what for me was a very coherent, a very logical, and a very well thought out system of, yeah. of education. It's never perfect; always needs to tweak. Um, I went abroad I've been away say four and a half years I came back i spent a, a period working at Yeovil as the head of coaching in the academy yeah. um, I, I'm fed up from the coaches coming back and saying nobody teaches anything anymore Right. it's all about well what's your experience what's your experience um, my, con- my concern is uh, in, in a, a rush to sort of like appease everybody and make everybody happy yeah the, the whole process of learning things and being assessed against standards seems to have gone out the window and it seems much more now it's just you know you just have to rationalise why you're doing what you're doing yeah you know, for example you've got foundation phase coaches who are coaching nine year olds on the A licence which, which is a course designed even under the latest UEFA criteria for working at the top level of the game yeah well as far as I'm aware at the top level of the game they play 11 versus 11 on a full size pitch yeah you're not dealing with a nine year old yeah so how can a nine, how can a coach of an under nines team go on the A license and be, get the badge be when yeah. they go back to their club and they're coaching nine year olds? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's impossible for me. But I, I'm not in charge of it anymore. So yeah. and, and so so I I think that's long term. Yeah. I think it's doing a massive disservice to coach education in this country. Yeah.
0: So it you know as somebody who, myself who's been through that process and gone through an assessment, not passed gone away for three and a half years and done sessions week in week out um, at university sides at, at non-league sides at you know all Sager town on a on a Tuesday and a Thursday with eight players when they turn up and you need you need 16 to do your pay you know to do whatever you need to do. Um, I, I recognise that. Um, so do you think that in order to what can I say to progress things that uh, there needs to be a review of, 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 of standards, if that's the right word, or, or is, it, is it something that's just is it just the evolution of time? Because I think in education itself, never mind in, in sports education or football education, for me, um, having people in my work area of work come through who are newly qualified, they often come through um, with different grades. That nobody nobody not gets through everybody gets through but some get through with it you're okay and you're 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 a bit better and you're a bit better it's almost wrong to actually tell somebody that they're not up to standard steve that's yeah. how it seems yeah. to be
1: listen um, people who just say we're getting old and, and grumpy um hmm. i listen to all the all the people now in education talking about the key factors in people's achievements you know qualities of resilience a growth mindset You know, to quote Carol Dweck and all the research, and all, and then they do absolutely everything they can to ever avoid making anybody ever overcome any obstacle. You know, like you say, everybody's competent. You know, I'll come back and watch you six times, and eventually I'll pass you, even if you're not any better. Yeah. Because actually, I want you to feel good about yourself. Well, you know, my reality. People said to me, I, I, I did an A license course presentation as a as a guest speaker, and I asked the group, I said, how many of you think it's appropriate that A license level you should be assessed? physically assessed by a tutor on the side of the pitch in a session in order to be competent and I think a class of about 42 put their hand up and the rest didn't and I said well let, you know, let me tell you now from my experiences you're an idiot if you don't think you're being assessed every time you step across the white line to yeah, do a coaching yeah, session yeah. and I gave him an example at Panathinaikos when I was there you know I'd coached uh, on coach education, you, you know, you have know, been on the courses. I'm not name dropping, but I've, I've, I've delivered on courses where you know, people like Zola yeah. and Peter Beardsley and Gus Poyer and yeah. all sorts of Champions League winners and all sorts. So, yeah, okay. But as coaches, now I'm coaching a team of players at Panathinaikos, and I did the evaluation after our first away game, which we lost three 0 against another Athens team called Panionios. And so I did the I did the video analysis and everything the following morning, and we went out onto, and as we went out onto the pitch two swedish lads swedish internationals um marcus berg who played against england in the in the world cup just yeah. recently was one of the two and they put their arms around my shoulders as we walked out and they said we're really glad you did that and i said well why are you glad and they said well because now we know that you know what you're doing so right. what that's basically saying is like we're listening to see what you're going to say and if you say anything rubbish when we're not having you yeah. simple as that So that's what they said. So I was being assessed. So, you know, my riposte after three paces was bearing in mind we lost 3 0 and played so badly, when will I know that you know what you're doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now you know that I know what I'm doing. (laughs) At which point, Marcus said, Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, But what I'm saying is that was just an example of them saying, Listen, just because you're the coach, we ain't taking everything you say for granted. You tell us some rubbish, you know, and, and we'll let you know. So these people, they're not used to being assessed, they're not used to dealing with failure. And yet everybody goes on about a growth mindset, resilience being the key consideration, their self-motivation. you know Do you have to keep telling people they're good to make them motivated? Because if you do, in the world of football, they're not going to last very long. Yeah.
0: So in reality, Steve, if, if what we're talking about is, 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 is reality, and it's, it is reality to me, because I, I you know I know colleagues who, who come back from their licence and actually coming back unimpressed by, by, by their experience because they've been asked questions and they, they want to be supplied with or facilitated to find the knowledge or, or guided and inspired and they're actually feeling that they're having to go and actually create the knowledge themselves. themselves. Or, or, yeah. So actually, yes, we the education system might be getting the numbers through, which on paper looks impressive, but actually, if what the example you've talked about, when all those people do decide or get the opportunity to go in front of, of players, then they're going to get found out. If you yeah. only coach under 10s and you've only ever done two, 11v11 sessions yeah. I, I don't see how you no. can be, and, and be competent at it
1: Well I, I think that's the point isn't it it's, it's how you view it And what you what you see it as being for Because I know people quoted the Spanish And years ago the Spanish said exactly that You know we pass them all And the game will sort them out Well I don't think you'd be doing that With an anesthetist or an airline pilot No I mean you know <laughs> yeah. I've never actually passed my flying exams But I fancy having a go You know are you <laughs> yeah. going to sit in the plane Or are you going to try yeah, and get up? you not going to have a go now. So it's whether or not you see it as a real profession You okay. know for me there are as I said before there's a range of things you can do that are acceptable people have to know the basic standards that they've got to achieve yeah, yeah. in order to get to the next level yeah otherwise there's no point in having levels of courses if, if you can do a session at a license level and get a pass coaching nine-year-olds that you can also do at level two and get a pass then to me where's the differentiation where's the increase in knowledge base increase in pedagogical skill the increase in emotional intelligence yeah. It, there isn't yeah. so what challenges it ultimately towards the mm-hmm. a license and it does say even in the latest UEFA convention it's at football at the highest levels of the game mm-hmm. and as I said earlier that's 11 versus 11 with adults with the ball moving quickly and you have to solve the problems in the split second yeah and I remember you saying on one of the courses Steve I don't know whether it was one of the ones I was a student on or I was working on you,
0: you said to me by the end of this you should be able if we dropped you if we dropped you off at Melwood at half past nine on a Monday morning for the and, and you know, Julier uh, said, "Isn't the reserve team coach isn't isn't in today? Can you just do as a session? You should after this course be able to, and you've got your ticket. Go and just put, put a session on and, and be confident that yes, you might be nervous at the fact that you you, you know uh, yeah. you don't know the players, but you know, put that aside. You should be able to do that. And, yeah, and
1: you I, should. And, and they're not necessarily going to have to say that's the best session I've ever had in my life." No. What they've got to say is that's a session that is within the range of competence I would expect of that coach yeah. um, and you're absolutely right if, you know, like if it's yeah. about 11-a-side coaching and you only ever coach little ones doing four-a-side and suddenly you get thrown into an 11-a-side the chances are you're going to make a pig's ear I'm going to be stumped yeah. well you only get one chance yeah, yeah. You know? and if you're in the professional game and that's where you want to work that's it the players you're, you're dead yeah. you know, forget it you, yeah. you ain't going back out because anything you do from then on they've got no respect for you Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah okay um obviously recently I think that's the last time we hooked up was when we were at um dick's,
1: dick's, dick's funeral. Funeral. yeah dick's
0: funeral. and obviously you know you've already mentioned that dick was one of your one of your mentors and and I kind of knew that uh, in a way by it by um you know speaking to you in, in the past Steve um so just for the people who are listening who haven't had the good fortune of being able to spend time around dick um do you want to just perhaps share a little bit about um, why Dick was great at what he did and, and how he inspired you and, and what it was you know, about him that,
1: that kind of influenced you in your, in your career, really? Yeah, I suppose we're back to the, to the same points, really. Same with Brian, you know, the, right. the four competencies. Yeah. But there, there was something about Dick, he uh, was more known in the coach education world than, than Brian would have been yeah. for example so yeah. Brian was very particular to me Dick I think is more global yeah. in terms of his, his appeal and his, and his reputation um, I think the thing after he died I spoke to lots of people around the world who, who knew him and again the, the first thing all of them all of them said was oh what a great fella you know and yeah yeah Dick had this this brilliant way of doing things and um, his attention to detail and <laughs> just, yeah I mean some of his PowerPoint presentations I've never seen so many colours on one slide in oh, like my life green writing on a purple background what and about his positions uh, specific Pacific? Uh, oh, oh, I mean, <laughs> but but the man yeah. was an encyclopedia of football and and his passion was you know, was undimmed by the years you know he was still the same as when I first yeah. met him and I can remember the, the first time I ever met him actually was. After David Burnside left the FA regional right. job in the Southwest and we had a couple of temporary ones. And then a couple of lads down there, Alan Gillette, myself, we all fancied ourselves for the job and because we'd been supporting the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, they they appointed this fellow called Dick Bate, And so we're driving up to this first seminar at um, Millfield School and we're sort of saying, well, he better be good. You know what I mean? And <laughs> after the seminar, I got in the car to drive back and I just looked at Gillian and I said, he'll do <laughs> that, that was, said it all uh, On that, that state, it. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely oh, he'll do he's just magnificent and I yeah, mean yeah. when you go around the world and you realise the esteem that he's held in in all, all corners of the globe you know it's unbelievable he was just the most wonderful fella his knowledge was encyclopaedic his mannerisms were beyond reproach you know he, he was just brilliant and he did he just inspired you he just inspired you to get better and you know not just me but there's a young lad called Kevin Nicholson Kevin must be like 32, 33 yeah, well now he,
0: wasn't he his, his first youth award one of yeah he uh, was on one of the yeah, um, the um, advanced youth award yeah the Bombay, advanced yeah. youth
1: award he was also on the elite coaches badge the elite coaches and exactly, elite yeah. badge and um, but, you know, almost like a different generation to me but holds him in exactly the same sort of esteem you know and it's a sad loss to the game and yeah. I, I really again I really felt that Although you know, I'm off to St George's Park tomorrow, and the FA are naming a training pitch yeah. after him, which is, to be fair, the least I think yeah. the national association could do. I really felt that he should have been a long time ago. He should have been in charge of coach education and player development in this country because he was, he was just head and shoulders above anybody else. Yeah, and yeah. I, right, maybe people say some of his, you know, some of the way he did stuff wasn't quite in keeping with modern trends. But not everything that's that's new is good, you know. No, and no. and if it's not broke, don't fix it. And Dick had so much value for everybody. Um, yeah, be a, be, it's a massive, massive loss, and I, yeah. I think
0: he's irreplaceable He's a one-off, and um, all his knowledge that he's left behind. Steve, yeah, I believe you've um, sort yeah. of um, yeah. taken yeah. on a little yeah, bit are, of a project. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Maggie, um, Maggie asked us to try and sort it out because you know, there's so much there. You, know, you don't want to just lose it, so we're trying to preserve it the best we can. Um, we've, I've got five lads helping me. Um, Kevin Nicholson's one of them, but a few other lads: Jim Hicks from the PFA. Um, Noel, um, Kenny Swain, and Dennis Mortimer are coming right. in as well to help out, and um, between us all, we're going to we're going to try and go through his yeah. archive of stuff, yeah, and then try and coordinate it in some sort of uh, usable yeah. um, resource, and then try and do something with it so that other people in future generations can benefit from it. Brilliant,
0: yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. So, okay, just moving on from that then, Steve. Um, you know, they, they you know. Where, where are you now kind of in your own coaching journey and, and what's kind of uh, is there anything you know what's next for Steve of <laughs> well if there's anybody listening if there's anybody listening oh, who it has it a very nice job going oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I am available um, no I mean at the moment I've just recently signed a, a consultancy agreement with the Asian Football Confederation uh-huh. um, they contacted me the other day with a first like engagement to go and do some stuff yeah. um, I'm talking to a couple of other people about permanent jobs because yeah. I'm not really sure where I'm going to go uh, a lot depends on opportunity obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when I left the FA in 2013 to go into club football it was because I felt I needed to get some contemporary experience of coaching players Yeah. because my experiences of coaching teams and players are 10 years old um, and I've done that now four and a half years I've done it in Greece I did it in Holland and Belgium in the top divisions so, I feel like going back into coach education now would be something I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's with one permanent job or as a consultant for a number of agencies, I don't know yet. Um, but the other thing, I've got a growing family as well. Um, my lad's just signed a scholarship at Swansea, right. so he's just started Absolutely. his scholarship yeah. there. So, I want to see him play if possible. Um, but I just want to be, you know, football's in our blood, isn't it? We can't moan about it. It, yeah, it yeah, whacks yeah. you down a few times, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, but you, you come back yeah. to it. And, yeah, I have to be honest. Given from where I started as a as a very average player coming off a of council estate in Northampton, playing for Wellingborough Town at the Dog and Duck, yeah. you know, I've not had a bad career out of it. No, so I um, as okay. I say, I may not have the money of Villas Boas, um, well. but I've, ser- <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed my life so far, and uh, long may it continue. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. And um, just just to kind of finish off with um, a couple of things young coaches out there or, or whether they're young or old but they're starting out and on a journey at, at whatever level maybe they've got ambitions to go to the next level or to you know go on what would be a top couple of tips that you'd say to people who are, who are, who are out there coaching you know night after night indoor yeah. outdoor youngsters well,
1: yeah that, but that's the thing you know be ambitious but don't delude yourself yeah, that, yeah. that's the problem and, and what I have found is, is this rush to get to where they want to be at the end point you know? and, I, and I think it's society in general you get all these reality TV shows and everybody wants instant stardom and instant fame don't they um, you've got to do the groundwork if you want to be really good at something you know, the, the 10,000 hour rule is a myth really because you know, for some people it might be 4,000 hours for other people it might be 25,000 yeah, yeah. hours and they never get there but if you want to be good at something the chances are you, you've probably got to have a little bit of natural talent but you've got to put in a, you've got to invest an awful amount of time and effort to make yourself yeah, as good yeah. as you can be yeah. and like you said earlier about the, the places you'd coach the different environments you've been in go and test yourself in different environments you yeah. know? if you want to know like, about emotional intelligence go and coach a group of 8 year olds you know, when you're tying their shoelaces and wiping their noses and then go and coach a men's non-league team where everybody's effing on blinding and then go and coach a girls team and then go and coach a professional club put yourself test in a mix of environments you- yeah challenge yourself because you'll find a chink in your armour somewhere yeah. and you can either run away from it or you can deal with it yeah yeah and then eventually, like for me, what I found, having had two goes as a manager, was I wasn't a manager. Yeah. You know that's why I did it in Yeovil. Then I did it in San Juan Jabhatay, and Trinidad. I'm not a manager. Yeah. I don't. You know. I should have learnt my lesson the first time. Maybe I'm thick. It took me two <laughs> goes. Yeah, yeah. But challenge yourself. Go and practice the thing. Find out what niche suits what you. What niche? Be, yeah, yeah. And then work as yeah, hard yeah. as you can yeah, to be in good that. at that niche. And
0: you know? be happy in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Be yeah. happy
1: in it. Enjoy what you do. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, and it's being happy is not all about the financial rewards and that it's no. about the. sometimes it's the intrinsic challenge listen if you can do a job you like and somebody's going to pay you a lot of money that's probably better than doing a job you like when not they don't pay paid. you at yeah, all yeah yeah um, yeah but there are times in your life when you do A and times in your life when you do B yeah. uh, and uh, you know nobody has this like linear perfect world yeah, yeah. where they just go from A to B to C to D yeah, no. so expect some setbacks we spoke earlier the growth mindset dealing with adversity you know resilience be prepared for it yeah, yeah. you know and and that's, again, back to the courses. If you go on a course, you, know, you really want it to test you. You really yeah, yeah. want it to challenge you. Yeah. If you. If you take a role somewhere, a job, you want it to test you. You want it to challenge you. Yeah. If it doesn't, how are you going to grow? How are you going to get better? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Be prepared to get some slaps in the face because you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make yourself look stupid. And then you just brush yourself down and get on again. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. okay, great. And, okay, so we've talked about Steve the coach and, and, and Steve the manager and Steve the player. So... Just, just to finish off, I will do a couple of quick questions about the person. So, Steve, as a person, I'm probably going to drop these on you actually. So, um,
1: have you got a favourite film? A film that really inspires you, or you really like, or you watch ten times? <laughs> actually, I've watched lots of films, lots of times. The Killing Fields, I really like. Yeah. All the Bourne films. Yeah, yeah. Are fantastic and Shrek you like them yeah, Shrek yeah. oh Shrek's magnificent yeah, yeah. the, the humour level in Shrek is like adults <laughs> kids it's brilliant I can watch it time and time again and still laugh yeah. oh and probably my I suppose my wife won't thank me for saying this but uh, Pink, Pink Panther films Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther films <laughs> classic it's just your sense of humour yeah, yeah, yeah she can't watch them she just shuts the door and leaves me in there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, book is there anything that you think do you know if you I know you're a reader. I know you're. you're you know you that yeah. kind, of, kind of. Have I, you got anything? I, I love reading. I love reading, particularly at the moment. I'm, I'm massively into things like like neural processing, decision making, what makes you make the decisions you make, pattern recognition, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Proust was a neuroscientist. Was a really good book, so I'd recommend that if anybody's out there, what's young that, coaches. Proust was a neuroscientist, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, and it just talks about like different things the way you, the way people do things that uh, actually they don't even realise you know yeah. um, Le Guide Culinaire the, the cookbook Auguste Escoffier you know how clever he was years before anybody realised it he realised that eating was more than just yeah. a, you know, a taste sensation yeah, it yeah. was all about the amb- ambiance of the place the weight of the, the knives and forks and how you can influence people through yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah, affecting yeah. the thinking, basically. Okay. Music, anything that yeah, you, you, you like, or you very, eclectic? very eclectic. Yeah, yeah, very eclectic. I don't like too much of anything. Yeah, but a little bit of a little bit of everything, to be honest. And I think Adele has got an amazing voice. Yeah,
0: brilliant. Okay.
1: Well, Steve, unless there's anything else you want to chuck in as a last bit of, of advice to,
0: to young coaches or managers, um, then you know, I'll. I'll, I'll let you get on your way
1: and um, <laughs> thank you very much for your time because it's been great it's I suppose your only advice is don't do an interview in the motorway service yeah, yeah. Don't, we don't want kids <laughs> shouting and yeah, screaming absolutely Okay. But great. No, brilliant thanks All well. right. Thanks very
0: much Steve okay thank you very much and I uh, hope you've enjoyed that folks um, that's Steve Rutter um, tons and tons of information there um, absolutely fantastic stuff so take it away enjoy and I'll catch you later